Okay, guys, we're going to, remember I told you, the last few chapters, the last section of Judges, really dealt with two very, very unusual stories. One story kind of reflected on the idolatry of Israel during this time. And we saw that with the Levite, who turned out to be a grandson of Moses, being a priest to Micah, and then ultimately being now a priest to a shrine to the tribe of Dan. Now we're going to come to the last last story, the last narrative in uh, the book of Judges. We find it in chapter 19 through chapter 21. And it is the story of the Levite concubine. Now, as we go through this, again, this, this is just wild, but this is reflective of the time in which the judges ruled. And it is, it'll blow your mind. So let me just remind you what a concubine is. Sometimes you will hear a preacher say that a concubine is a legalized prostitute. Okay? That is a very incorrect statement. That is not what it means. Okay? A concubine is a wife. So a guy can have a wife and he can have a concubine. And in their culture, they were allowed to have multiple wives, okay? Polygamy existed in Israel at that time. But there were different degrees of wives. So you could have a wife, and she would be your, quote, legitimate wife, meaning that her children would be your legitimate heirs. All right? Meaning that her children would be the legitimate heirs. Then you have what is a concubine, and... That's still a wife, but it's not up to the status of, quote, the legitimate wife. And any children from that union did not have a claim to the inheritance. Now, as everybody understand, when we talk about inheritance, we're talking about the portion that they were given when they took the land, okay? They could not receive that portion, okay? could not receive that portion. And so that is what a concubine is in Israel. And we're going to see that there is a guy who is a Levite who has a concubine. Now, there is um, there's a lot of verses here. We're kind of going to maybe touch on a few as we go along, but we're not going to read this because of the section. But we're kind of going to go through it. So first of all, Chapter 19 introduces us to the Levite and the concubine and the story with regards to them, okay? So let's talk about that. So first of all, a Levite from Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. A Levite from Ephraim. So from the area of Ephraim, the half-tribe of Ephraim, there was a Levite up there. What's the Levite doing there? Well, remember, the Levites didn't own property they only had cities, but they were to dwell among God's people to direct them towards God and also to serve at the tabernacle. He decides to take a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. All right? So he decides to take a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Now, you're going to see that there's some problems. There's some relationship issues going on here. What do you mean? The concubine was unfaithful to the Levite and fled to her father's house in Bethlehem. Wow, what a soap opera already. 
So here he takes a concubine from Bethlehem. He takes her back up to Ephraim. While she's there, she, it says, plays the harlot. It means she's unfaithful. She's unfaithful to him. Probably there was a confrontation because of that, so she heads back to Bethlehem, back to her father's household. Okay? Back to her father's household. The Levite went with a servant to bring her back from her father's house. So this Levite has a servant. All right, so let's stop for a moment. What does that tell you about the Levite? Yeah, he's obviously got something, okay? Because he's able to have what? A servant, okay? He's able to have a servant, So, and, he's, and it says he loaded up his donkey. Again, yeah, he's, I mean, seriously, he's got some finances, right? Okay, he's got some finances. So he's heading to Bethlehem to get his concubine, okay, from her father's house. So the concubine detained the Levite for several days with hospitality. Now, this is how their culture worked, okay? They didn't have the kind of culture that we have. You and I have, we live in a fast-paced culture here, don't we? We've got on our smartphones, like I have on my smartphone, a reminder list that dings at certain times to tell me, do this, do that, you know what I'm saying? And, and we've got our appointments that are, and we're like, and we've got a time schedule. We're always rushing to go somewhere, right? Isn't that what we live? Okay. That's not true there. It's an agrarian culture. Things are pretty laid back. Let me tell you how laid back they were. Let's say I'm from Ephraim. Rob lives in Bethlehem. I go to visit Rob. Okay. Do some business with Rob. Rob, in the custom of hospitality, invites me to stay tonight, feeds me, treats me like a king. The next day I said, okay, Rob's been good to see you, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Rob says, no, George, stay another day with me. We'll eat more. We'll eat more, George. Come, let's, let's enjoy some wine together and, 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 and make festivities and talk about what the Lord is doing and and I stay another day. Second day now. I'll see you, Rob. i got to head back to Ephraim. No, 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 George, wait a minute. There's no rush. You stay another day with me. Come on, we'll make... We haven't talked about the Torah very much. You know, we, you know, we haven't talked about uh, the Bethlehem Raiders and how they're doing in football, right? You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, you know, it's soccer there. But I mean, so, you know, we, we, we would, and, 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 and it goes on, literally, it goes on. This is the custom. This is what they would do till five days go by. Finally, the guy says, I got to go, Rob. See ya. And Rob, stay another day. No, no, I got to go. And he's like, you have to leave. All right, so he leaves. He's detained there for five days. Aren't you glad we don't have a custom like that? Because some of you are like, man, can't wait for my company to leave. Right? Isn't that how we get here? Boy, they stayed long. This instance, in their culture, you had them because of hospitality. Okay. So the concubine's father detained the Levite for several days with hospitality. Now, traveling back to Ephraim, so they leave. So it's got to be 
it's like a journey, like a day's journey or more, okay? So as they're leaving, maybe it's later in the day, but traveling back to Ephraim, the Levite refused to stay overnight in Jabez, which is Jerusalem. At that time, Jerusalem was occupied by the Jesuits. Okay? So by the Jesuits. And the servant says, the text will tell you, the servant says to Levite, Master, let's stay overnight in, in, in Jabez, in Jerusalem. And the Levite says, no, we are not staying with the foreigners. We will continue on till we come to our people. So they refused to stay there overnight. And notice, it's because they didn't want to stay, and this is indicative all the way up to the time of Jesus, do Jews hang out with Gentiles? No, no. So you see this here in this passage, right? Okay. All right, so here's what happens. They arrived in Gabeah and Benjamin and waited in the square for someone to lodge them. So here's what they did. They didn't just show up in town and go to the Holiday Inn. There was no Holiday Inn, okay? In their culture, they would go to the main square. Maybe there was a well there, whatever, the main square. Maybe that's where the market was. And they basically would wait, Wait for who? Wait for somebody to come up and say, hey, why are you in town? Oh, you're on a journey. You need somewhere to stay. Come stay with me. And that's how they housed people back then. Because that was a culture built on hospitality that you were told to take strangers in. That is, of course, Jews, stranger Jews, Israelites in. Okay, So they're waiting in the square for somebody to lodge them. An old man who was also from Ephraim invited the Levite to stay in his home. So there's an old man that comes into the square. He's from Ephraim. He's not from, from Gabeah, which is in Benjamin. So he's not a Benjamite. He is an Ephraimite. He comes in. He sees this guy. Oh, there's somebody. I'll have him stay at my house. Okay? Everything is normal. At this point, Everything is normal. This is culturally normal up to this point in the story. Okay? The old man took responsibility and cared for their needs and their animals as well. Wow. I mean, you're talking about, like if I, you know, if I stayed at your house, you'd feed me and then go out and make sure my fluid levels are good on my vehicle and the air is good in my tires. Do you understand? And making sure the tank's filled. That's pretty serious, right? Okay, that's what they're doing here. So, that evening, wicked and perverted men surrounded the home. So from Gabeah, they obviously had a moral problem. See, this story is going to illustrate the moral decline of Israel during the time of the judges. And this story is saying that the decline had taken place so much that wicked and perverted men surrounded the home. Okay? They surrounded the home. They demanded that the Levite be brought out so that they can know him sexually. These guys wanted to rape the Levite man. Okay? These guys wanted to rape the Levite man. Now, 
you're, you're probably wondering, how does this happen in God's people? Well, if you really want to understand the decline that takes place in, the, in, the, in humanity, that gets to this place, you simply need to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through, I think, 32, and you will see the decline where they no longer acknowledge God, they're no longer thankful, they think they're smart, they're given over to their lusts, whatever they want to do, and it ultimately results in this type of sin. Does everybody understand? Okay? So they demanded that the Levite be brought out so that they can know him sexually. Now this next point is going to, you're going to be like, what? But you got to understand why. The old man protested and called him not to act wickedly. Okay, that's not the issue. So he's saying, hey, don't do this, don't do this, this is not right. But here's what he did. The old man offered his virgin daughter, but the men refused. What? You've got to be thinking that. Can I tell you why? If somebody is in your home and you are caring for them, you are responsible for their well-being to make sure that nothing happens to them. That was the culture at the time. It was a moral wrong if the stranger in your home was not taken care of and protected. And it would be such a great shame. Now, we don't understand shame because we don't live in a culture with shame anymore. But in cultures like this where it's shame-based, you lose face, you lose status in the community by not fulfilling your obligations. Your obligations. So his obligation was to take care of this stranger, the Levite and his group. So that, to the point... Even though it's wrong, it is a lesser wrong in their eyes for him to give his virgin daughter to these perverted men than to allow the stranger to be abused. Now you're, you're like, are you kidding me? Aren't you glad you're living where you are right now? Do you understand? But that's the way it was here. Okay? That's the way it was here in this culture. So, but the men, thankfully, refused. Oh, what do they do now? Well, the story only gets worse, folks. Okay? You're kind of going to kind of see where this Levite is. The Levite gave his concubine to the men, and they sexually assaulted her throughout the night. So what happens is, is the Levite says, Here, here's my woman! And they raped her throughout the night. Until the sun came up. Have you got a good view of him? You don't have a good view of the Levite. Hopefully you don't. Okay, this is pretty bad, right? Okay. When the morning came, the concubine was freed, and she fell down at the door of the house. So in the morning, they let her loose. She comes up to the door of the house. Of course, it would be barred, and she falls down. In the morning, the Levite prepared to leave and told his concubine to get up. I mean, if you read the text, I'm going to be honest with you, it blows my mind 
He gets up in the morning and stop, gets his donkey ready, and he looks over and heard in the heap in front of the door and says, get up, get on, the, we got to go. Uh, you don't see any caring there at all, do you? Well, she doesn't respond because she's dead. The implication is, is when she fell down at the door, she died. Okay? She died. So, what do you do? Well, he loaded her on his donkey and returned to his home in, in Ephraim. Pretty bad story so far, right? I mean, he just loads her on a donkey, continues on his journey to Ephraim. It gets worse, folks. He then took the body of his concubine and cut her into 12 pieces. Cut her into 12 pieces, sent those pieces. He sent the pieces throughout the territory of Israel, and the people were appalled. Naturally so, right? It's like unbelievable, okay? Naturally so. So that's how chapter 19 ends, okay? He's doing this because he's calling for vengeance. So now we get to chapter 20, which is the war against Benjamin. This too is unreal, that what happens, okay? Unreal. But this shows you, can I be honest with you, what we're seeing here is the moral depravity of Israel during this time. Do you understand? The moral depravity. So here's what happens. The tribe of Israel gather at Mizpah. Remember, that's where they normally gather at Mizpah when the Levite reported the assault of the wicked men. So they gather, they, all of Israel gathers at Mizpah. All the men of Israel gather at Mizpah. They want to know what is the deal with these pieces of body being shipped around. The Levite comes and gives a report about what happens. The tribes demanded that these men be handed over. Of course, they want to execute judgment now. They want the men to be handed over because what they were wanting was sin and what they did was sin. But here's the crazy thing. The tribe of Benjamin refused. Isn't that crazy? Okay, so think about that for a moment, okay? Let's say, let's say, well, I'm going to pick on Tim here, okay? All right, let's say Tim goes down to Harrisburg and kills somebody. Runs back to Kerwinsville. And they got video, they got all kinds of videotapes and everything about that Tim did this, they know Tim did this. And he comes to Kerwinsville, hides in Kerwinsville, and the state police show up and they say, hand over Tim. Hand over Tim. And all of Kerwinsville says, we're not giving them to you. Isn't that crazy? The tribes demanded, but Benjamin refused. Now it gets crazy after this. So the 11 tribes attacked and destroyed Galbia in retribution for the sin. Whoa! This just escalated. They attacked and destroyed this, the town in retribution for the sin. Okay? Gets worse. The tribes then challenged Benjamin concerning how they allowed this sin to take place. 
the other 11 say to, to the 12th tribe, how is it that you guys allowed this to happen? That's a natural question, right? But here's the... Benjamin gathered an army, and the tribes gathered a much larger army for war. It's escalating. The emotions are high. Benjamin gathers an army. The tribes, the 12 tribes, obviously we know they have a lot more people, gather their armies, and they get ready for war. The army of Benjamin defeated the other tribes the first two days. So in the first two days, the army of Benjamin wins. Now each time they go to the Lord, the other tribes go to the Lord and say, shall we go up against Benjamin? And the Lord says, yes, go up. After the first two times, they're facing defeat. By the third time, they're like, Lord, should we do this? God says, yes. Yes. With each defeat, the tribes inquired of the Lord and were told to attack. On the third day, the tribes attack, and Benjamin lost most of its army. On the third day, they attacked and they lost most of their army. The tribes then destroyed all the cities and the people of Benjamin. Uh, it was a slaughter, judges will tell you. Who survived? All that remained of Benjamin were 600 warriors cooped up somewhere in a fortress, in a position. All that was left of an entire tribe, 600 warriors. That's it. No women, no children, livestock, everything in Benjamin wiped out by the 11 tribes. This is what the text tells you. Wow. Okay? All right. Now, there's a problem, though. This is one of the 12 tribes. So at the beginning of chapter 21, it's going to talk about the preservation of Benjamin. Now this is wild too. You guys ready for this wild journey? Okay, here we go. The tribes had sworn an oath saying that they would not give their daughters to Benjamin. So all of the tribes in the emotion of what happened with the Levite and his concubine swore an oath that none of them would ever give any of their daughters in marriage to Benjamin lest they should be killed for doing it. That was their oath. It was a blood oath. Okay? They had sworn an oath that any who did not join against join the fight against Benjamin would die also. If there was somebody else in all of Israel who did not join in this just war against Benjamin, they too would die. Serious stuff, right? Then they wept before the Lord because one tribe, Benjamin, was missing from the 12 tribes. Hello? After they do this deed, kill everybody but 600 men, now they're like, oh no! There's only 11 tribes now of the 12. There's one missing. Did Reality hits them. Okay? Reality hits them. Unreal, right? It gets it gets worse. It was discovered that no one from Jabeth Gilead was present for the assembly at Mizpah. So while they're weeping and wondering what to do about Benjamin, 
they realize that there's somebody missing from the town or village or city of Jabesh Gilead. There's no one there. And remember their oath. If you didn't take part in the battle against Benjamin, what would happen to you? You would die. Okay, you ready for this? So the 12 tribes sent 12,000 warriors to destroy everyone in Jabesh Gilead. Whoa. They took 400 virgin maidens from Jabeth Gilead and brought them to Shiloh, where they were meeting. Now, Shiloh is where the tabernacle was. So they killed everyone there except 400 virgin maidens who had never known a man. Yes, Sawyer. That, there's a reason, I'll tell you why they, you'll see why they kept alive these girls, okay? It gets wild. The tribes made a peace offer to the 600 remaining from Benjamin. So they decide, alright, so they figured out the, the big gurus or whatever in the 12, the other 11 tribes figured out, let's make a peace offering, we'll offer to make peace with our 600 brothers, because it's their brothers. And we'll offer them peace. There's 600 men. That's all that's left of them. Okay? The 600 men accepted and the tribes gave them the 400 virgin maidens from Jabeth Gilead. Here. There's nobody. We need to have the tribe continue. So there's 600 of you. Here are 400 girls. Continue on with your tribe. Now the problem is 400 doesn't equal 600, right? Okay. So they got a problem, all right? So they got a problem. The tribe sought a loophole concerning their oath against Benjamin. Remember they swore, remember the other thing they swore was no one would give their daughter to Benjamin or they would die. Remember that oath they swore? Well, now... They still got 200 Benjamite men who don't have wives. How do we get them a wife? We swore an oath that nobody, nobody would give their daughter in marriage. Okay? And we want to keep our oaths, so we got to find a loophole here. How do we find a loophole? Very ingenious. Okay? Here's the loophole. They had the remaining 200 men steal their wives from the maidens celebrating the harvest. There was a harvest festival in Shiloh, and the Jewish maids, virgin maids, would show up and celebrate this harvest festival in the evening. So what they did was, if you read the text, they had the 200 men wait on the outside at a certain time. When the festival was taking place, then the 200 men would run in and grab themselves a wife and head on out. You're saying that's just plain crazy. It is. The text will tell you that the leaders of the 11 tribes said that if the fathers and the brothers come and complain, we will say to them, have mercy on your brothers from Benjamin, for they need a wife. And besides, you're not giving them the wife, so you're fulfilling your oath. They're taking the wife from you. Do you understand? Craziness, right? Pure craziness. I 
spent two days trying to wrap my brain around how would you like to be that woman who either had her whole family destroyed in Jabeth Gilead to be given to some dude, or being a girl in a festival celebrating the harvest and somebody steals you. How I mean, we, we can't even begin to imagine that, but that's the way things were back then. Okay? They allowed the tribes to save the tribe of Benjamin while maintaining their oath. Now, it ends with this statement again, which is reflective of all of the book of Judges. Again, the writer describes the nature of the times in two ways. All right, we already know this. He stresses that there was no central authority in the land since there was no king. No king. All right? And he stresses that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's very evident from this passage, right? Very evident. Thus ends the book of Judges, folks.